Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. This is going to be a fun hour. It's going to be an interesting hour. I don't know if fun's the right word, uh, but maybe it's going to be an encouraging hour because many out there lack uh, meaningful love, and it shows up in a lot of people's lives. And sometimes it's the result of abuse or maybe the natural reaction is just a lack of self-worth, maybe you've got a rejection of yourself and maybe others. The reason I think I get excited about this because my guest, Dr. John Woodward, is going to be helping. He's going to be giving us uh, some great tools and wisdom as we talk about uh, uh, shame and rejection. And it's going to be uh, a time for you to ask questions as well. So I'm going to open up the text line if you've uh, got something you want uh, to ask uh, John, let me know what it is, 877-933-2484. Uh, Dr. John Woodward is the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. John, welcome back. It's great to be with you again, Bill. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, this is great. I'm looking forward to this, and I know this couldn't come at a better time. And I think with a lot of people going through increased isolation and suffering, and they might be doing a little extra uh, loathing and self-loathing, and they might feel rejected even though they're not because there's so much isolation. But this is a serious issue. And it's one I think um, virtually everyone can identify with, Bill, because all of us have a need for love and acceptance and worth, don't we? And Mm -hmm. when those needs aren't met through our relationships, especially in our formative years, there are emotional consequences and relational ones. So when you think of the damage that can happen early on in a person's life, how do we start to piece that together when you want to be a fully functioning adult, but there's been too much damage when you were younger? Well, when we um, think back about our formative years, we see that um, that need for, for love and acceptance and security and and worth should be met in terms of our relationship with our father, uh, our mother, um, and evidently, even by the time you know, we're, we're toddlers and in school age, much of our sense of our own identity and whether or not we have a sense of worth and attachments um, uh, has either been provided in a healthy way or um, if it has not been provided, then we would describe that as various forms of rejection or abuse. So we don't want to stay there or use it as an excuse for unhealthy ways of coping today. But we believe that understanding this rejection syndrome can really um, put in context a lot of the individual struggles that we have and prepare us uh, to look for the supernatural solutions that are available. Mm-hmm. John, one of your uh, co-workers, Dr. Charles Solomon, wrote a book called The Rejection Syndrome. I didn't get a chance to read that book, but I would, I would love for you to give me a little uh, outline of some of the points that he makes and some of the things we can uh, talk about today. 
that would be great. Let's define rejection as a lack of meaningful love. We're not saying that, let's say, our parents uh, or our spouse, if we've been divorced or whatever, if, if we haven't had people that have cared about us, but if it wasn't communicated in a meaningful way, then uh, that's what we're talking about. You see, children are very good observers, but they're not very good interpreters. So I was talking to a counselee today. Of course, I won't identify who he is um, from another state. And he described his parents' marriage as I took his uh, background history today as torturous. And I asked him to unpack what that meant. And he described uh, the dysfunctional relationship in his home throughout his um, his childhood and, and early teen years. So when there's been um, uh, rejection from a father, a mother, uh, whether it, they might even be a workaholic where they think, I'm just, I'm just working 60 hours a week because I care about my family. But if a child doesn't have meaningful love expressed to them, then they can feel worth less than whatever dad or mom are doing you know, with all their time. So we would just define it as a lack of meaningful love. And sometimes, Bill, that's really obvious. Like, uh, for example, some listeners may identify with this um, if they've been through abuse, physical abuse or sexual abuse or verbal abuse. And that's really obvious and it's painful. However, there's also more subtle forms of rejection. For example, uh, the workaholic parent that I mentioned that uh, wants to show love and yet they're, they're too busy to, or let's say a, a parent dies um, when, um, when a child is young, then even though the, the parent may have died, let's say, in a, in a tragic accident, they didn't mean to leave their family, it leaves that vacuum, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Where the love that the child should have received from their, their parent wasn't given them. So um, there can be this uh, more covert kind of rejection. And another example of that in Dr. Salma's book, The Rejection Syndrome, is overprotection. And uh, the reason that this is a more subtle form, Bill, is that often a parent who is, let's say, here in the South, we call it spoiling, uh, but doing everything for a child and never disciplining them or never holding them accountable for their actions or giving them everything they want, uh, they may be thinking, I'm going to do everything I can for my son or my daughter, you know, make their every wish come true. However, if they don't teach them age-appropriate responsibilities, if they're not held accountable for their actions, then ironically, when this child grows up, they may appreciate what their parents did for them, but they end up resenting what they did to them. Mm. Because what they did to them is they didn't let them become a person. And so whether it's an obvious form of rejection, uh, like abuse or a more subtle form like overprotection, I think virtually all of us can identify that this rejection problem is something we need to understand. John, talk about that syndrome of you can't share what you don't have. And you think of parents that maybe didn't get that meaningful love that we were talking about. So they then in turn can't really turn it on to their, pass it on to their children and now you've got 40 and 50 and 60-year-old people with older parents, and you still can't make that connection because there's just too much history and too much uh, awkwardness. Um, I think that would be the syndrome aspect of what we're talking about, where we see in marriage counseling, for example, um, an inability to express love or um, 
maybe the parent, uh, when they discipline their child, they just are venting their anger rather than teaching a child, you know, to to learn life skills and to learn um, about acting responsibly. Or they, they may just end up with open statements of rejection, much like an echo of what they heard growing up. So, um, again, it's not an excuse for uh, husbands and wives not to relate to each other, you know, in a mature, loving way. But it does give a context why, as you said, uh, it's really difficult to pass on what we never experienced. And many times, um, healthy family dynamics have never been modeled. So then when a person uh, is in a relationship, they end up, even unintentionally, um, uh, rejecting others in a way like they've been rejected, or ironically, it could be the opposite. For example, if a, a parent never had um, their birthday remembered or, or uh, you know, nice clothes or whatever, they could go the other extreme and have the overprotection that, that we were talking about. So it really is like a ripple effect or a domino effect where until uh, supernatural uh, healing can come in and give us that love, we end up perpetuating the problem. Boy, we're both fragile and resilient all at the same time, aren't we? Right. So when I and so mm-hmm. no, when I think of this rejection of others, I guess that's something I would love for you to share more of. Um, I think there's something you could even talk about in in case of some of the writing that goes on that there's rejecting of others. Uh, boy, that's you know that could be. Uh a really important insight to understand the social unrest we're experiencing because uh, when uh, people individually or socially uh, identify with that rejection, then it can become uh, a reaction of, of anger, of hostility, of violence, of retaliation. But ironically, that ends up taking one example of rejection and just perpetuating it and making matters worse. So, um, when we, when we think of the different examples of how uh, rejection impacts people, we think of, uh, for example, the breakdown of the family. My friend Kent Darcy leads a ministry in Michigan called Adult Children of Divorce. And in his book, he talks about um, how divorce affects children. Again, not to put parents on a guilt trip here if, if uh, they've experienced divorce, but we're saying that that is um, very understandable that... Um, when a divorce takes place, sometimes one parent will um, kind of poison the well, you know, regarding a child's view of the other parent or uh, uh, prohibit um, uh, the the father, for example, of visiting the home. Uh, or even if they, they intend to share the parenting responsibilities, uh, chances are there's more of an economic stress after divorce and the parents are too busy working to try to make ends meet than to give the children the love and attention they need. So there's so many examples that we could discuss that I think our listeners would identify with that helps us understand why we may have emotional results. Could I list a few typical emotional results, Bill? I would love that. You know, I think right now we're kind of at break point, uh, John. So okay. I'm going to just uh, take a fast break, and when we come back, we can start listing those and discussing them. This is wonderful. Dr. John Woodward is my guest. If you uh, have a question, you can text it to me. I'd love to hear what your question is. He is the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. You can head over to that website if you want to check it out, gracefellowshipinternational.com. We'll be right back with John. 
Thank you for joining me today, Dr. John Woodward. It's my guest this hour, Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. We're talking about rejection, the rejection syndrome. And, John, you said that you, you'd promised me a list when we came back, so I want my list. It's fresh on my mind, Bill, because uh, today I was walking through a counseling session with someone, and I, I pointed him to these, this list that can be observable as we walk with people and help them get unstuck from life-controlling problems. And here's the list. Emotional results in the rejected person. Feelings of worthlessness. Wishing he had not been born. Feelings of inferiority. Inability to express feelings. See, in some homes, people are not allowed uh, to express their emotions because there's kind of this artificial um, piece that that is enforced. And, and so those feelings are stuffed. Depression. Emotional insulation, which means we don't have a sensitivity to how we really feel. Subjectivity, which means we look at life through the filter of our feelings. Introspection. Do any of our listeners look inside a lot, trying to figure out what's going on? Perfectionism, which means there may be an area of life that we really try to ace to make up for all the disappointments we've had. Well, little self-discipline, which is kind of the opposite, thinking if I can't measure up, I won't even try irresponsibility, worries, doubts, and fears, self-condemnation, self-hatred, guilt. Whoa. My counselee today uh, read through the list. I said, does any of that look familiar? He said, the whole list describes how uh, I've been feeling. So when we understand that there are these emotional consequences, the reason that this is helpful is that it's not like we caught a cold or, or, or something just zapped us. It, there's a logical consequence that because we were created, Bill, for love and acceptance, if we don't have that meaningful love, and to the extent that we've had rejection, especially if it's been a severe form over a long period of time, the more likely these kind of emotional results will be evident. Mm. Wow, that's quite a list, John. Mm-hmm. And I think you would agree that we need a supernatural solution. There's no question. There's no way, unless God intervenes, that a person is going to heal and find a new purpose and and a new sense of belonging. One way we can um, give a quick introduction to what we need is we need care and we need cure. Care means that it really helps to have friends, to have supportive relationships that can help repair this damage, that can support us as we go through life. However, um, we often need to go beyond um, friendship and care and to experience cure. And that's where I believe that Christ-centered counseling uh, can be so important. Mm -hmm. I already have a listener jumped in with this question, John. Uh, Can can you offer tips on how to begin to repair damage done to a child of a single parent who worked 60-plus hour weeks not knowing how to communicate what she believed was showing love by providing child with necessities? The child is now an adult with serious parental resentments. Well, I think it helps simply to recognize that um, this context would cause rejection. I think as a parent, we need to realize that we've done the best we could uh, to go um, to the Lord to find the healing we need. Then we can show that meaningful love even at an adult level you know, to, to our adult child. We believe that God is an equal opportunity transformer. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter, uh, Luke chapter 4, 
that he came to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are captive. So even though we can't live the life of our children, we can't necessarily fix them as a parent we would like to do, we can model that there are answers, that there is a provision for uh, personal renewal, and we can offer that to the extent that we're experiencing it so that our children can find freedom at their stage of life and beyond. Now, John, I want to go back to care and cure. I think there's more on that, those two topics I would like to cover. When you talk about care, and I know you, you're a big fan of Christian counseling, as am I, but when you talk about uh, getting care from counselors and community and loved ones where you feel like you belong and you feel like you've been listened to and cared for, what happens when that doesn't come from the person who has injured you? Well, those other forms of care are, you might say, uh, uh, some means of support. They're means of consolation. They're means of encouragement. They certainly help us navigate life. But I think when we've been offended, when we've been hurt by an individual, um, those other forms of care don't necessarily heal that particular hurt. And that's why we need to go beyond care for cure. You see, psychology can talk a lot about these issues But we believe that understanding the rejection syndrome is simply a context to then move into spiritual solutions we find in Scripture, we find through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's why we're excited about how um, the healing of the broken heart really is available to us, and that's where the cure comes in. John, if you've been rejected, is an easy step to take that of feeling like a victim. Indeed. Um, and, and often that can be kind of a prison where we end up with that sense of victimization and we end up with an identity of victim, which does affect our actions and reactions, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So, so Christ-centered solutions in terms of cure goes to show us that we're not ignoring or minimizing the heartache we've experienced, the rejection that has come our way. But God has made provision. The Bible says in in 2 Peter chapter 1 that God has given the believer everything he or she needs for life and godliness. And that everything includes, amazingly, the Spirit of God coming into us to give us a new heart and to give us truth that can set us free and to actually bring healing in a way that whatever has happened in the past, we we can become freed from those, you know, from those chains. And he can not only heal our hurts, Bill, but he can use that healing to be a testimony and incentive to help others. Mm-hmm. John, my producer, Rebecca, wants in. She's got a question. <laughs> I've been so, taking notes. So here goes. <laughs> oh, John, it's so great to, to hear your wisdom on this. And I was thinking, if if we're struggling with rejection and all of these symptoms are are very concrete, so hopefully we can recognize when they show up, Um but I was also thinking that the one place we find healing is in the acceptance of God. And if we've experienced rejection at the hands of maybe parents or some formative people in our lives, it can be a struggle to accept that God accepts us and won't reject us. And so I was wondering if you might be able to speak to someone that feels so rejected or shamed or guilty that they struggle to believe that that promise of God is real for them. Um, that is right on target, Rebecca, as to where we need to go with this discussion, because uh, we so often hear that when a person has had rejection, 
from parents, then it kind of clouds their view of God and, and actually makes it more difficult to believe that God really loves them. But as you just mentioned, it's so important for us to discover God's love and then to realize that even though we may have had rejection you know, at a human level, whether our parents intended it or not, we can have acceptance on a divine level. So we believe that being accepted uh, and reconciled to God through the gospel is the key. It is the cure we've been talking about. So Ephesians 1 verse 6 says that for believers that God has made us accepted in the beloved one. So if we really embrace and believe that the, the one who knows us best and loves us most, God himself, loves us and accepts us, then it's like a, a life, you know, a, a lifesaver that's thrown in our way that we can cling on to. And when we experience that love and acceptance, it starts the healing process where we can then forgive and be uh, an agent, as Jesus calls it, blessed are the peacemakers, for there's, you know, for they should be called children of God. So rather than retaliation, rather than rioting, rather than um, uh, uh, causing more pain, we can actually, in the words of Romans 12, overcome evil with good. But that, I believe, comes from discovering God's love at the heart level and letting that cure really make a difference in us. Great question, Rebecca. Thanks, Bill. I learned from the best. Well, <laughs> now you're saying all the right things. <laughs> now do you feel accepted? Yes, I do. <laughs> I feel accepted. So. Thank you so much. There, there's, some, there's some care happening there. That's healthy. No, I, I, I agree. So, uh, John, we're coming up on a hard break here, so we're going to go to break in about a minute. But I also want to just uh, let my listeners know that if you have questions and if you've dealt with rejection in a way that has, you've, maybe it's disabled you a little bit, you have a question for uh, John, uh, let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. The resentment piece, John, can really uh, stick around for a long time, and that is poisonous, isn't it? It sure is. It poisons the person who is harboring that that bitterness, and then uh, it negatively impacts the relationships. Mm-hmm. I think I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back, but I'm also open to hearing from uh, any listener that has a question for Dr. John Woodward. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. We're talking about rejection, not an easy topic, but if you've experienced a significant amount of it, We'd love to hear uh, what you have done and how God has met you in your time of need, or maybe you've got a question. So 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back. John Woodward, Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. We're talking about rejection, not an easy topic, but one that is uh, uh, touches a lot of people who are listening, and I know that to be true because I've been hearing from you already. 
Uh, John, I would love for you to talk about the effect of rejection on a person's identity. I know we touched on this a little bit, but I want to go in a little bit more depth if we can. Well, many times, Bill, our identity is based on our life experiences and the messages we got from others. So if the messages we received were that we didn't measure up, that we were worthless, a friend of mine was told by his parents, we wish you had never been born, then those those statements, those rejective statements, stain our sense of personal identity, and we end up living out of that identity. It affects our attitudes, our relationships to others. So through discovering Christ as our personal Savior, Lord, and our life, we have a new identity that's positive, secure, and unchangeable. Paul calls it, describes it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So the cure involves uh, receiving God's love and acceptance through the gospel and then letting that new identity be discovered and appropriated. And that is not an overnight process, John. I know that to be true, but there's uh, people that have a narrative stuck in their head from a very young age, and it's going to take a lot of work to get that out of their head. There is a process that Romans 12, 1 and 2 describes to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. But we believe that renewal isn't based on self-effort, but it's based on really experiencing the love of God and letting the truth uh, bring these needed corrections in our perceptions of God, ourself, and others. So it is a process, although we are excited to to see how um, the cure of the Christ-centered life and answered prayer can really give people what I would call a breakthrough. Let me allow allow me, Bill, to give a um, an example here from a counselee, a woman who um, uh, came for some telephone counseling from another state. And she sent in a text a couple weeks ago, my husband sent me down tonight to divorce me. Instead, he saw a change in me and wants to do some sessions with you to find his significance in Christ as I have found my security in Christ. So this woman had plenty of rejection in her life and uh, was having a really difficult time in the marriage. And I'll just say that um, God answered prayer because I've had two sessions with her husband and God has opened his heart. Um, she texted me again after his second session saying, you know, when God gave me the grace to forgive him, uh, he saw that change in me. And now um, he's actually investing uh, weeks for he and his wife to go away and do a deep dive in the Christ-centered uh, discipleship literature. So we see these examples, Bill, on a regular basis uh, to God be the glory and that's why even though it is a process, it can be punctuated with some really exciting breakthroughs as we discover identity in Christ and what union with Christ can really provide. Mm-hmm. John, well, so prayer would be moving in the heart of that man, but is there also another step of humility that's gone on, or what else goes into this person that says, I want to I restore this marriage, I want to work at it, and the transformation starts to happen? Well, the natural tendency, let's just, for for example, mention marriage, is that one spouse will think, I have to fix, you know, my husband or fix my wife, and we we use criticism to control. And I think uh, our listeners can recognize that usually doesn't work too well, uh, usually it backfires. So in this case, this woman was willing to let um, God just do work in her life, coming to the cure that we've been talking about, 
discovering her acceptance in Christ, her new identity in Christ. And then as she let what the Bible describes as agape love, unconditional love, flow into her relationships, her husband saw the difference. Certainly prayer is a key, but in this case, um, when we discover that cure and we become a peacemaker, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, another beatitude, then the Holy Spirit is able to, do, to soften that other person's heart. So we believe that um, forgiveness and love is a much more effective instrument in God's hands than criticism and control. Mm, so true. John, how has the uh, technology and some of the things in the modern world today uh, affected people's identity? Well, even though we have so many means of technology, Bill, in terms of social media, uh, people can still be very isolated or just kind of be pretending and looking for likes and, and, and uh, you know, visits to their, their YouTube channel as a means of, of acceptance. Um, but we believe that uh, the most important media is not social, but spiritual. You know, the, the scriptures um, say that through the gospel, we can have this unconditional acceptance. And uh, as I was reflecting during the commercial, uh, remember that the Bible teaches that Jesus also was rejected. So isn't it amazing that um, God revealed himself through his son in a way that he would be vulnerable to to uh, rejection as well. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 said that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. And then ultimately, of course, the cross where both Jews and Gentiles um, uh, nailed him to the cross. And yet from the cross, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for, the, for they know not what they do. So Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected more than any one of us. But the book of Hebrews chapter 4 says he can also empathize with our listeners, with each one of us. He knows what it's like to be abandoned or rejected or, or abused. But he also is victorious through his resurrection. And through the Spirit of God coming into our hearts, Bill, we can have this healing, we can have this intimacy, we can have this consolation that God does care, that he does accept us. And he can take our wounds and turns them in, turn them into scars, which can then become testimonies of healing to others. Mm-hmm. Listener writes, I'm an outside observer to a relationship showing symptoms of rejection. How do I engage with, with each person in this relationship? Well, I guess I could, I could mention in my friend's book, The Rejection Syndrome. Uh, sometimes we can allow someone else like uh, Charles Solomon uh, to raise our awareness of a particular issue and rather than directly pointing it out, uh, point to a, a video or point to a, a book or a quote and say, you know, I heard this program on Faith Radio <laughs> uh, and and use this, you know, third person's uh, testimony to uh, to raise their awareness. So certainly we need wisdom. I think it's best, Bill, to have what I call a testimonial posture, which means we are learning these things about the, the power of acceptance and the consolation of God's love. And if we can say, I am learning this, what do you think? Then it comes across more in a, um, in a, in a winsome way rather than a, um, a way where that we're kind of trying to intervene before we may be welcome to do so. Mm -hmm. John, what if a person is professing to be a Christian yet 
yet they live in their own kind of small story, living out their own feelings of rejection. And, you know, when you start to have a conversation with somebody who's been clearly rejected by the world in some capacity, it's kind of hard to tell them, like, you know, Jesus was rejected too. It's not as comforting uh, as we would like it to be, because it should be comforting, but it's not always that comforting. Well, of course, we we need to have wisdom uh, as to whether they need care. We mentioned earlier in the broadcast, care and cure. So the Bible says weep with those who weep. It may be a time where we just need to give that listening ear and uh, to offer that care. On the other hand, um, if we've had five conversations and it's not going beyond the woe was me um, kind of attitude, that's where we can inter- we can start to introduce the cure. And I, I think it's really significant, Bill, that in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, there's a, a wonderful prayer there that we would go deeper in appreciating God's love. And at the end of that prayer, it says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or imagine. So I think that that indicates to us that uh, discovering God's love has tremendous potential to make a difference in our lives. Mm-hmm. A listener, John, wanted to know from a previous comment you made, um, did John say that wife was to forgive her husband when they started this process with the counselor? Um, we primarily deal with people as individuals and then transition into marital enrichment after they have a personal renewal process. So in the illustration I gave in the text that I quoted, the wife um, was receiving counseling for her personal renewal. It wasn't primarily marriage-related. It was about her personal uh, desire uh, to be free in Christ and and live uh, the abundant life. But God um, led her to see that she could not change her husband, that she was not to retaliate, but rather to model um, God's love and uh, and grace and forgiveness. So yes, um, uh, he sat her down to divorce her, but then instead of uh, of kind of taking both barrels and 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 criticizing him for all of his faults, she noted he noticed a change in her heart that softened his heart. So just as retaliation tends to escalate a conflict, um, the proverb says that a soft answer turns away wrath. So yes, um, she, as unto the Lord, uh, relinquished resentment toward her husband. Uh, he saw a change in her, and that opened the door for now uh, his um, decision to move forward in his own Christ-centered journey and marital healing. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't always link the words abuse and rejection together, but clearly I see now that they are they are cousins. I, I do a lot of work with people and men in drug and, and, re, and alcohol rehab, and I had a conversation with a guy who had not had much sobriety, and he says, I've been, you know, an alcoholic for most of my life. And he said, my, my dad dragged me to the bar as a kid. And then I was always inconvenient in the way, and he frankly beat me silly. And he goes, I'm pretty sure he was, you know, that's why I'm an alcoholic today. I think it's a key insight, Bill, when we understand the rejection syndrome uh, to to see how it does give a context for substance abuse, because really alcohol and drugs are a means of escape, aren't they? Mm -hmm. They're a means of, of numbing the emotional pain that's there. Again, it's not excusing wrong behavior, but it does give a context for it. My friend Joe Freeman, uh, who uh, leads an affiliate ministry in New Jersey called Love Them to Life, he and his wife Cherry have a ministry to help 
parents whose children are addicted to drugs, lovethemtolife.com. Joe, in his own testimony, was the oldest of nine boys, and his father was physically, verbally, emotionally abusive. And when he got to college, he started drinking, and for the next four decades, uh, he was strung out on alcohol Mm. and drugs, and he lost his family, his health, his finances. And then uh, at the brink of suicide, he turned uh, to a Christ-centered rehab center, and God radically changed his life and put him on the path uh, of of healing and freedom, and now is ministering to others. So I think this is a really important theme in addiction addiction recovery ministry. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. All right, I'm going to take a little break. If you have got a question regarding rejection, let me know what it is. You can send the text to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. You can, of course, remain anonymous. That's no problem. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. My guest is Dr. John. Woodward. He is the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. We'll be right back. Dr. John Woodward, he's Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. And John, as we continue to talk about rejection, would you tell me the difference between rejection that is uh, covert and rejection that is overt? Uh, We would call overt rejection um, something that's really obvious. And you mentioned a moment ago abuse. So when there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, you know, uh, Obvious uh, rejection is what we call overt. Covert is more subtle, and it could even be um, an absentee parent. They're they're busy traveling, maybe they're traveling salesman, or or they're working uh, so much that they don't have time to show meaningful love to their children. Or I mentioned earlier um, overprotection, where we think we're showing love to our child, but we're doing everything for them in such a way that they don't um, learn age-appropriate responsibilities. So they end up actually rejecting, feeling rejected, um, because they're not allowed to become a person. I was going to mention also, Bill, the issue of adoption. Now, when a person is adopted, certainly a blessing you know, to, um, to be welcomed into this world and have life and, and be adopted by a caring family, but automatically that child is going to have two questions. Who am I, and why didn't my birth parents keep me? Mm. And so these issues are really important for uh, parents of adopted children and those who've been adopted to see the relevance of the Christ-centered life, to discover who they are spiritually, and also to know that God's love will compensate them for any rejection they've experienced. Mm -hmm. When you uh, talk about perfectionism a little bit, John, because that seems to get people into a, a lot of trouble, it's it's good to have goals and to do your best and work hard, but... You can set yourself up for a lot of rejection if everything has to be perfect. That's for sure. And we mentioned that some of the emotional results of being rejected is feeling worthless, uh, feeling like, you know, we have inferiority. So um, the Bible says that the flesh in us, in other words, the old conditioning of how we've learned to think and to feel and to choose independently of God, um, that can be configured where we think, well, the, re- the way I can compensate 
for feeling inferior is I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to have a perfect house, a perfect car, um, go to the gym three times a week, have the right wardrobe. And so it may not be that all of life is that we're trying to be perfect, but we may find one area of life that we're really trying to to get an A plus on, looking to that to compensate us. But unfortunately, that can be that can be uh, a, a cause of being driven, and uh, we may be have unrealistic expectations because really we can never be perfect, can we? No, we can't. So, John, when when love is withdrawn, um, and a person feels that their their life is coming to an end, and I can't believe this is happening, and they feel ultimately rejected, what would you say to that person? I mean, isn't love a choice? And you can say, I committed to you for a lifetime, but I'm not going to do that anymore. And is that a rejection or is that a person just choosing not to love? Or is it a combination of both? Or do I not know what I'm talking about? Or pick any one of well, the above. Let's 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 uh, use the context, Bill, of, of marriage. And again, we can have some baggage from, from our childhood. We've already talked about how we have emotional results. We may have not had a healthy relationship model. So we're, we're trying to, to learn how to uh, express love and, and uh, to re- communicate in a healthy way. We may have not had those skills or had, had that, that healthy upbringing. However, we believe that um, through putting God first, and receiving his love, his healing, his freedom, then we can find a way to be content. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, remember the passage where Paul says, I've learned to be content in any and every situation. That passage also is where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And also that chapter says that God will supply all of our ultimate needs according to his riches. So what I'm seeking to say here is that our first uh, responsibility and opportunity is to look to God to give us that fulfillment. And then in terms of that relationship scenario, Bill, you described, um, there may be that blockage there, whether it's a lack of communication or lack of love or lack of forgiveness. And certainly when we have a sense of being complete in Christ and have his love and forgiveness, that we can have that that posture of kindness and reconciliation rather than um, that kind of retaliation where, uh, um, you know, one spouse criticizes the other and then they just defend themselves and, and it escalates. So I think we have the, uh, the tendency, you know, to be defensive and critical, which makes it worse, or we can discover um, the, the peace and the love of God, which can make us part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Mm-hmm. John, how do we move beyond being a victim of rejection? Well, I was listening to um, an audiobook by Frank Peretti, uh, who's written so many um, books about uh, Christian fiction and spiritual warfare. And uh, I don't know if you've ever come across his book uh, where he describes <clears throat> that when he was growing up, um, he actually had a medical condition that left him with a deformity. And um, I think we all know that uh, in school, especially uh, in junior high and high school, uh, there can be a lot of bullying, right? Um, that's a, obviously an example mm-hmm. of rejection. And so Frank Peretti talks about um, what it was like for him to feel, you know, to be bullied and to uh, to just go through um, that tremendous emotional pain. But he also came to that place of the Christ-centered life, and through prayer, uh, he was able to break that cycle of victimization and abuse through Jesus Christ. 
So I think that's the answer is that as we experience the Christ-centered life, then we can have that ability uh, to love even our enemies. Uh, we, again, we think about uh, the crisis our country is facing, you know, with the protests and the writings and so forth, rather than uh, adding to uh, the animosity and, and anger and hate, um, a Christian response would be, in the words of our Lord Jesus, you know, love your enemies, do good to those who despitefully use you. That way we can, um, more in the attitude of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, have that posture of peacemaking and reconciliation, which is really what everyone needs and wants. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that said that if you, for every bullying or criticism or negative thing that gets said to you, you need to hear like five or six positive things to offset it. And if you've gone through a life of feeling rejected over and over and over, there is not enough affirmation you can receive in this life, I don't think, to make up for that. Because I know some famous people who are worshipped and adored by the public who still have little skeletons in their closet. Right. And so as parents, we need to give a lot more affirmation uh, than criticism. And then even in our adult life, we, I think we can all use a, a dose of encouragement um, the reason in, in Christ-centered counseling we keep focusing on the gospel and a personal relationship uh, with the Lord is that that's where we really see um, going beyond care and some improved coping mechanisms to really transformational change. Can I mention another story I came across, Please. Bill, of uh, an evangelist you may have heard of called Tony Nolan, N-O-L-A-N. And in his testimony, he mentions how um, he was born to a woman who was selling herself to survive. Uh, He ends up going into foster care where he was repeatedly abused. Then he's um, adopted, and this is back in the late 1980s. And when he was adopted, uh, his his adoptive father paid a fee of $200. Um, And uh, he actually said to Tony when Tony was growing up, he said, you're not worth the $200 I paid for you. And you can imagine, you know, how... That would have affected um, uh, Tony, um, not being raised by his mother, abused by his foster parents, and now his adoptive father says, you're not worth the 200 I paid for you. Well, in Tony's testimony, he mentions when he was 24, he tried to commit suicide. Thankfully, he survived. Uh, he was invited to a Bible study. He received um, the gospel. He received Christ as his personal Savior. And I love how Tony mentions in his testimony that after he received um, God's love through the person of Jesus Christ in the gospel, God whispered to his heart, your adopted father said that he regretted spending $200 on you. But God said to Tony's heart, I have never regretted purchasing you with the priceless blood of my son. Mm. What a difference that makes. Wow, no kidding. These stories, uh, we could probably we could probably hear a lot of them because there's a lot of them out there. And for people who have suffered rejection and have gone through um, bullying or or a lot of just feeling like love has been withdrawn, John, maybe you would just uh, close us out in a word of prayer for, for the people listening who are feeling uh, exactly what we talked about today. Let's pray together. Mm-hmm. God, as uh, our listeners have reflected on these concepts, chances are there have been some painful memories that have come to them. But we ask that your love would compensate them, that they would take some time to open the scriptures, that they would see that you have loved your people with an everlasting love, that they would see that Jesus can empathize with us, 
And therefore, through the gospel, we can find the, the love, the acceptance and consolation we need. I pray for each one of us who are believers in Jesus that we would become Christ-centered, abiding life disciples so that you would live your life in us and through us so that we could demonstrate that care, that unconditional love, and that we could lead others to discover uh, how to go from a victim identity to a victor identity through the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for your love and the acceptance we can have because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for your spirit that indwells us who can bring healing to broken hearts. And I pray your blessing that your love and favor would rest upon each one of us in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you, John. It's been an important hour, and your wisdom has been welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the program. It's a privilege to discuss these important issues, Bill. Thanks. Thank you so much, Dr. John Woodward has been my guest. He's the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. You can go to gracefellowshipinternational.com to look John up. That wraps up our show for the day. I've loved being with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. And if you're now listening to the show because it's nighttime and it's the podcast, I appreciate you and look forward to our next time together. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.